How do we grow? What takes us from simply reading and listening to moving and doing? Into a roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty kind of walk, driven by a desire to grow in grace and humility, digging in faith and on good soil, implanting his word in our hearts, waking up to life on the other side, where peace-loving wisdom resides, persevering through trials and temptation, through death and destruction, giving life-breathing water through action and deed, letting it soak in and take deep root in every aspect. That kind of doing changes us. It leads us into true faith, true faith that produces good fruit and changes who we are in Christ, driving us to sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, to lead with love and give to others generously with mercy, causing us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. On a bad day in January 1968, U.S. Army Colonel Ben Purcell was a passenger on a routine supply mission in a UH-1 helicopter flying over the jungles of Vietnam. He was shot down. Most were killed on board the aircraft. He was captured, and then he was tortured, and then he was tortured some more. After several months of this, he was able to escape, and then he was recaptured and tortured some more. He was listed as, as missing in action, meaning his wife and kids for five years would not even know that he was alive. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Kara Tippetts was an up-and-coming Christian blogger. She was a Christian writer. Things were going great. Incredible husband who's a pastor of an awesome church, a mom of four little kids whom she loved with all of her heart, and then she got breast cancer, and it hit her with a vengeance. And as she was passing from one side of eternity into the next, she could look back and see her husband as a widower and her four kids as motherless. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Corey Ten Boom and her family had been harboring Jews as Christians, which was a crime, so they were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And at that time, she and her sister were worked to death and starved to death. And on top of that, they had to deal with an issue called fleas. The fleas infested their barracks room so badly that at nighttime, they had to put stuff in their nose and their ears to keep the fleas from coming in and laying eggs. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Three snapshots of suffering, three vignettes of pain. But here's what I find interesting about those three stories. Ben Purcell would be moved from a North Vietnamese prison camp over to the Hanoi Hilton. And once he arrived at the Hanoi Hilton, he would be registered as a prisoner of war. His wife and kids would find out that he was alive. He would spend five years in solitary confinement, the last six months with some of the American prisoners. He and his wife would say at the end of his captivity that Christ came off the cross and into their hearts. Kara Tippetts would say that Jesus was the one that would allow her to live well, to love well, but more importantly in her eyes, to fade well as she went into his arms. And Corey Ten Boom and her sister would praise God 
for the fleas. You see, the fleas would keep the Nazi guards from raping them. In fact, the fleas would keep the Nazi guards out of their barracks room, which would allow them to use that one smuggled Bible that they had to share Jesus with a whole bunch of Jewish women. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What is it? What is it that where you've got two people and they go through the same type of horrific incident and one person completely walks away from their faith while another one hangs on to it with everything they have and when they exit that valley of the shadow of death, they're stronger in character, honor, integrity, and in their faith? The answer is godly wisdom. In fact, that's what we're gonna talk about today. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Suffering well requires godly wisdom. Suffering well requires godly wisdom. Suffering strips life down to the basics, and you need wisdom to be able to deal with it. C.S. Lewis once said that, that, that when we go through a time of suffering, it's as if the, the white noise is taken away and God is shouting at us through a megaphone. Well, God's got a lot to say about that. As we hit week one of our eight-week series on the book of James, we're calling it Doers of the Word, uh, or Doers, meaning Doers of the Word, which comes from the book of James. The Creative Arts Ministry team, we were playing around with a bunch of different titles. We liked a couple of them that at least I liked, uh, were things like Go Ask Jimmy. Um, another one was Gym Class, you know, like J-I-M. Yeah, kind of all got voted down. So Doers of the Word. That's what we're talking about for eight weeks. And it's a great book because it talks about spiritual maturity and what it means to walk as a Christ follower. So that's what we're going to be doing. Today we're going to look at, at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. So turn in your Bibles to James 1, 1 through 6. I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'll set the scene for what's going on. But meanwhile, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Um, there's heaviness in suffering. And you know that we don't have it all together, but we know that you do, that you hold all things together. So will you meet us today in this auditorium, over the live stream, all this weird technology? Will you just meet us in all of this? Will you speak through me, a broken vessel? We love you in Christ's name. Amen. James 1, chapter 1, here, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So Jesus' half-brother, James, writes this, this book. It's his half-brother. Remember, Jesus' dad is God the Father. His mom is Mary. Mary marries Joseph, and so Joseph is Jesus' stepdad. As soon as Jesus is born, shortly thereafter, uh, Joseph and Mary consummate the marriage, and they start having more kids. James is one of those kids. But here's what's interesting. James didn't become a follower of Jesus until after Jesus was resurrected. You see, he spent his whole life with Jesus, watching him grow up. He spent those three years of Jesus' earthly ministry watching Jesus do amazing things. But he had to see the res resurrection before he could live the resurrection. I was thinking about it when I was looking at, 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 at this teaching, how many people Jesus showed up to one-on-one. -on -one. You know, he showed up to a whole bunch of people in groups and talked to them one-on-one, -on -one, but he, he only, I think on five occasions, I may be wrong, did one-on-ones, just popped in and, and did a one-on-one -on -one with someone. First of all was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, as soon as he comes out of the tomb, he values women so much that the first person he's going to talk to is Mary Magdalene, who's going to be the first evangelist. He talks to Saul, who had become the apostle Paul, on a road to Damascus. He talks to Peter. He does a one-on-one -on -one with John. John, that's where we get the book of Revelation, the revelation to John. 
And then, after the resurrection, he does a one-on-one with James. And when that happens, James, James sees the resurrection, he sees who Jesus is, and he becomes a powerful leader in God's church. The, the book's written 10 to 15 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so James ends up writing this letter, eventually, to talk about one thing, spiritual maturity, living a resurrected life. Spiritual maturity, living a resurrected life. What do I mean by spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity is getting God's word. We get it in our heads. We get it into our hearts. We apply it to our lives. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we try to make good decisions. We discern good from evil, right from wrong. And when we biff it, we own it. We confess to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we make amends with others. And then we move forward. And we grow. The way we grow usually is through suffering. Suffering is how we get that wisdom. We got to go through stuff. And it's very, very difficult. So here's what the book of James is not about. The book of James is not about salvation. It's not about how to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not a whole bunch of steps we have to do. The book of James is how to be spiritually mature. And as I said, we don't become spiritually mature without going through stuff in life. That's what the book's all about. So he sends this letter to a bunch of Christian Jews who are going through stuff. They're scattered around all over the place, and they are being persecuted for their faith. They're going through suffering. A lot of times, suffering just like we're going through, because suffering knows no boundaries when it comes to time. And as you look at the, the, the book of James, it's got a bunch of stuff that he talks about. Persevering and suffering. Restraining your tongue. Practicing God's word. Putting it to work in your life. Being a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. Being prayerful. I don't know about you guys, but I need help in all of those areas. That's what we're going to be talking about today specifically is suffering. And suffering well requires godly what? Help me out. Wisdom. So let's talk about that. Let's keep on going. Let's look at verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So right out of the bat, we're told that we got to consider. Consider means we have to evaluate. So if our actions can affect, our attitude can affect our actions, then our outlook can have an effect on the outcome. But we have to be able to evaluate well. When we evaluate properly, we can have a proper view of how to deal with suffering. But what we value determines how we evaluate. What we value determines how we evaluate. What do I mean by that? If you value comfort, which is what the 21st century Western culture wants to teach us, when we value comfort over everything else, we can have a skewed view of suffering. If our focus is always on how we feel in the present versus what God could be doing for us right now through this time of suffering and through this trial for the future, then we can have a skewed view. We got to be able to look at the rug the right way. What do I mean by that? When I was a kid, I had a, at our house, we had, I called it the awful oval. It was this oval rug and it was hand woven. And if you flip it on the backside, all the threads were sticking out. It was ugly. But if you flip it on the front side, it had some pretty cool patterns. 
When we go through a time of suffering, we have to evaluate properly. If we evaluate through the lens of God, it's as if we're looking at the right side of that hand-woven rug. But when we look at it through circumstances, through comfort, and through something other than God, what we think we we deserve, then we're looking at the wrong side of the rug, and it's a hot mess. So God wants us to evaluate well. Later on in today's teaching, I'm going to give you uh, 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 some, some wisdom principles that you can apply to big things in your life. So we'll put that on hold for now. So James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How do you do that? How do you do that when your marriage is failing or has failed? How do you do that when your child is suffering dying, or has died? How do you do that when your career is ending? How do you do that when your reputation you've worked so hard to manage is getting hit after hit after hit for things you didn't do? Well, this whole concept of pure joy, here's what he's not talking about. Hey, little trooper, turn that frown upside down. Just be positive. It's not like Joe Dirt. Hey, life's a garden. You got to dig it, man. Be positive. That's not what he's saying at all. Pure attitude, or this, this pure joy is about the attitude of the heart. Pure joy is about the attitude of the heart. We're supposed to be focusing on Jesus. It stems from a heart that is focused on Jesus no matter what the circumstance, and it requires an evaluation of God. Go with me on this. We have to evaluate God before we hit a time of suffering, or we will suffer greatly. What do I mean? Well, let me give you three evaluation points. Before we hit a time of suffering, we need to look at God's word and see three principles of God's word. First of all, that he is a good, good father, that he is perfect, he is sinless, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. And when we do that, that's an evaluation point. Second evaluation point, that God is sovereign over everything, Jesus holds all things together, that nothing has landed in your lap without going through the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean that he causes the evil, but it didn't surprise him, and he's involved in it. Third data point, that he wants what's best for his will and then his children in that order. When you evaluate God with those three data points, you can come up and say, okay, I can be humble, I can, I can give this to God, and I can trust in God in this because I've settled the issue of who God is. That gives me a proper attitude of the heart. So this pure joy, this, pure, this attitude of the heart means you can walk into the worst sorrow and the worst pain, not smiling and laughing, but knowing that God's got it and he's got you because he loves you and he values you. With that attitude, trials come like, become like thermostats that activate Jesus in our lives. Okay, it's fall time frame. It's getting cold at night, so most of us here are turning on our furnaces at night. We set the, the, the thermostat for a certain level. Temperature drops below that level, kicks on the furnace, we're warm. Well, trials can kick on the faith furnace in our life. You see, we have, have to have our, our thermostat set on Jesus. That means that We understand that he is a good, good father, that he is sovereign, and that he wants what's best for his will and his kids. You feel the grief, but you can experience the joy, not the smile, but the joy. The weeping drives you into the arms of Jesus. So joy in trials is not an absence of feeling. 
but a presence of Jesus. Joy in trials is not an absence of feeling. You feel the guilt. You feel the shame. You feel the pain, but you move into the arms of Jesus. And remember that James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, not if ever, but whenever. We're going to go from trial to a little bit of a reprieve, hopefully, to more trials, to more reprieve, to more trials. It's just, it's a cycle throughout our whole lives. I like to go to Boulevard Park and walk along the, the boardwalk there. And so many of you here in Bellingham have been, uh, been to Boulevard Park. It's a beautiful place right on the water. You walk along the boardwalk, and then you get to one point where it goes up Taylor Hill for about a mile. And yeah, you know the deal. It, and I love walking it, though, because it's a great workout. But think about it. You go about 100 yards, and then there's about 20 yards of flat. 100 yards of pain, 20 yards of flat. 100 yards of pain, isn't, and that's life, isn't it? That's whenever you face trials of many kinds. So let's go back to verses 2 through 4 again. He says, consider, evaluate, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. All right, three times today, I'm gonna, we're going to Greek out, we're going to geek out, okay? And for those of you who are like, come on, I've got a Bible that's an English Bible, and, and biblical translators were much smarter than you, Kip. We don't need this. Yes, we do, and here's the reason why. We pastors are called to teach, and there are some things where you just need some depth that our English language just can't give us. So give me grace on that. Greek, Greek word number one for perseverance. It's a very important word. It's actually two words that's combined together. It's called hapomino. Hapomino. Hapo means hyper or super. Mino means to stand. And when you persevere, isn't that what you do? You super stand, you hyper stand. Roman centurions, when they would have their troops and they'd take a chunk of land, the, the troops would be given a, an order to hapomino, to stand, to defend their territory, to persevere. They had sandals with spikes that came out of the bottom, and they'd, they'd occupy their terrain. They'd put troops at all four places of the compass with one order to hapamino, to hyperstand, to superstand, to persevere. And Jesus gives us the example of how to do that. When he was on the cross, isn't that what he did? He hyperstood for us. He superstood for us. He took on all of our pain, all of our sin, past, present, and future, and he hyperstood. He, he died for us. And so often we want to roll directly to the resurrection, but we have to remember he died. He took a horrible, horrible death for us. And if there was just one of us, he would still die for us. He hyperstood. So when we go through a time of suffering, it's as if Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to have a tough time. I'm here with you, but I need you to superstand. Because the way you superstand as a follower of mine, people are watching you. And when you reflect my love, when you reflect my love, you build my kingdom. I'm building it through you. Will you hyperstand? Will you superstand? Will you defend the ground that I have already taken? Hapamino. It's what Kara Tippetts did in the last hours of her life. She wrote these words. She said this. My little body has grown tired of the battle, and treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. This is the joy that James is talking about. 
He has still given me breath, and with it I pray I would live well and fade well. He's given me so much to be grateful for, and that gratitude, that wondering over his love will cover us all. And then she died. That's Hupamino. Super stand. Perseverance. Let's go back to verse four. Perseverance, standing your ground, must finish its work. That mean, means that it goes on and on, and it's got to play its course so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here's the thing about superstanding. It doesn't come naturally. And what happens is we've got to make a decision to superstand. It's like world-class athletes. You see them doing squats all the time. They test those muscles so that they can stand, so that they can compete well. The same is true for us when we hyperstand. Without the opportunities to hyperstand, we're going to hyperfall. So we have to have those opportunities. And they're just not fun. So I'm looking at all this. And these are great words. I, I mean, I appreciate the words of James, but what's the key? What's the key to all of this? It's found in the next two verses. Look at verses five and six. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask a God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Guys, I've used this verse so many times in my life when I faced a problem, but never have I used it when facing suffering. That is until I started doing sermon prep, and it jumped out at me. This is, it's, the wisdom in this piece is directly tied to suffering, Think about this. He tells, okay, Greek lesson, Greek lesson. Here we go, Greek lesson number two. First one was hupamino, it means to super what? Super what? Stand, okay. Second one, second one. The Greek word for wisdom is very, very important. It's sophias, sophias. What sophias means is to have a special enlightenment in a given situation. And it's given as a command. We're commanded to ask for wisdom when we go through something very, very difficult. It's the hinge verse for the whole passage. The whole passage depends on this verse. If we want to have relief in suffering, we've got to have wisdom in suffering. So many of you have hear, heard of this guy named Eugene Peterson. He wrote a, a translation of the Bible called The Message. He is a biblical scholar. He's a Hebrew and Greek stud. This guy is so good. And he puts the, the, the Bible in common day language that we can understand. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, and he calls, the, calls it The Message. Well, I'm going to do the Kipster International version on this one. Uh, I'm going I'm to do my own words to this as paraphrase. I, I won't call it The Message. I'll call it The Massage because I'm massaging the words. Or not. All right, here we go. James, <laughs> yeah, that didn't go over well. Skip that for the 11 o'clock. So, when you're getting hit, this is the Kipster International version, okay? When you're getting hit hard in the face, stand your ground and defend your territory. This trial won't take you out. When you take a blow that's gonna knock you out, you have to demand wisdom. Do it, God's gonna give it to you. Don't you believe it? You see, in times of suffering, here's what normally happens. If you're like me, you get hit with a time of suffering and immediately, why, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? And God's like, whoa, 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 wait a second, Clyde. I'm not, on, I'm not on the opposing team. I'm on your team. I am for you. Well, then, again, if you're like me, if, let's say it's a medical thing. You're immediately going to go to the Internet. You go to WebMD, and pretty soon you're knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, and you're preparing your funeral. 
And then you go to Amazon.com or someplace, and you look for books, Christian or secular, to help you out. And those things are great things, but they can never surpass God's word and his promises. We serve a big God who can take our verbal vomit. When we scream at him, he can take it, and he's not smacking us down. He loves us. But what James is telling us here is we go to God first. We ask for godly wisdom. We hyperstand. We superstand. And we persevere through it because God's going to do something in it. Suffering well requires godly what? Godly what? Wisdom. Okay, but suffering well also requires an evaluation. I want to shift gears for the next few minutes, uh, uh, the last few minutes of this sermon, and talk through what it means to have an evaluation, some evaluation principles. So we're, we're told to consider God. We evaluate God. And if we evaluate God, we find he's a good, good father, that he is sovereign, and that he wants what's best for his, his kingdom and for each one of us. So then we need something that we can use to apply to our lives. So this, these three wisdom evaluation principles um, that, that I'm, I'm going to give you, you can, let, let's talk first about a big life-changing event, a death, a loss, something big in your life, whatever that may be. And then we'll talk about something a little bit more minor, maybe a, a difficulty with a family member, a coworker, something like that. Three wisdom evaluation principles. Here we go. Think humble, think eternal, think Jesus. Think humble, think eternal, think Jesus. Think humble, think eternal, think Jesus. Let's start with think, think humble. Whenever we come into a time of suffering, we have to understand one thing over all things. He is God, we are not. We think that God has to act within our value system, our operating system, but he doesn't. And because we can't understand his mind, according to Romans 11, because his mind is, is, is infinite and ours is finite based on our circumstances and our life experiences and what we have expectations of others and expectations of God, we, we just can't do that. We can't figure God out, so we have to humble ourselves and say, okay, God, I go back to that evaluation of you. You're a good, good father. You're sovereign, and, and you want what's best for me. I don't get it. I hate it. I hate what's going on right now, but I'm going to trust you. That's think humble. Think humble is all about faith. Let's go back to verse 6. Verse 6 says, but when he or she asks, they must believe and not doubt. So faith is confidence in God not on our limited understanding of what he should do. God is under no obligation to operate within our mindset and how we think he should operate. So we have to understand that. That's what it means to think humble. All right, let's talk about think eternal. Think eternal. Our life on this earth is short compared to eternity. It can be a few months, it can be a few hours, it can be a few years. It can be several, several decades. And at the end of it, compared to eternity, our life is very short. So we're supposed to have an eternal focus. Jesus, when we receive Jesus into our lives, he gives us eternal life, eternal life with him. And scripture tells us that eternity is going to be simply amazing, that this life is preparation for that life. I said it this summer in one of my sermons, what we do in this life does echo into eternity as Christ followers. So I've, I've used this, uh, this illustration before. I'm going to use it again and again and again because I think it nails what eternity 
compared to our life is, size-wise. If you could put a boundary on eternity, and you can't, but just for illustration purposes, let's picture eternity as the size of the Pacific Ocean. And then our life here on Earth is the size of an eyelash. And what we do is we hang on to that eyelash with everything we can, because that's all we know. And we hold on to it, and we hold on to it, and God says, will you stop? Will you trust me? You've received me into your life. I've got so much planned for you beyond this life. Folks, I guarantee you, when we get on the other side of eternity, we're going to look back and say, what was I thinking hanging on to all of this? As we hit a season of suffering, or for those of you who are in a time of terminal illness, understand that there's more to life than this. This is all we see, and God's got so much more And we have to hang on to him and his promises. Think humble, think eternal. Lastly, we've got to think Jesus. Think Jesus. Jesus is going to right all the wrongs in life. Jesus hyperstood for us. He died for us. And when he died and was resurrected, death has no sting. No sting. When you, when you choke on your chicken bone and show up in front of Jesus, it's in the speed of a thought. There's no going through purgatory to burn off all your sins. There's none of that junk. In the speed of a thought, you're in the arms of Jesus because Jesus rights all wrongs. And here on this short time we have on earth, we have his good news boiled down to nine words. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. And at some point, when the Father says Jesus is going to return, and it's going to be the whole flip, all injustices will be made right. Either on this side of eternity or the next, it's going to be made right. So I want to go back to James 5. I want to do a word for word for the first part of James 5 because Greek lesson number three is coming up. You ready for it? Okay, here we go. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. This is a word for word translation from the New American Standard Bible. Let him ask of God. Our first word was perseverance. We've got to hyper what? Hyper what? Hyper stand. Second word was sophias. We need to demand what? Wisdom. Okay, of God. The two words that come together are paratheo, paratheo. It means to come alongside of God. When we hit a difficult time in our life, we're called to come alongside of God. That's important because God is right there with us. He's not far away. We don't have to call for him to come to us. He's already right there. David would say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For who's with him? God, you were with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. At Refuge the other night, I was talking about how, how we have these backpacks of pain, huge backpacks of pain, and we're called to own those backpacks, and we open them up, and the more we give that pain to Jesus, the more we yoke into Jesus, because his burden is light, our burden is heavy, and we yoke into him. The more we do that, the lighter our backpack becomes, and that's what happens when we paratheo. We come alongside to God. We, we, look, we yoke in to him. It's like Jesus is saying, I need you to super stand. I need you to hyper stand, but you can't do it by yourself. Just lean into me. Lean into me because I've got you. Ready for the Kipster International version of this? The massage, 
All right, verses five and six. Eat your heart out, Eugene Peterson. Here we go. If any of you need special insight and enlightenment to the suck fest you're in, simply come alongside me and ask. I'll not only give you that wisdom, I'll hang on to you with two nail-pierced hands that will never, never let go. Do you believe me? Think humble. Think eternal. Think Jesus. Look at the right side of the rug, not the wrong side. Okay, so when we go through a really bad thing in life, that, that'll help us. That's a pretty good tool that we can use, right? Well, what about when we're having an argument with a spouse or a loved one, a neighbor, or how about a, a coworker? You two disagree on something. Well, let's go through that because you can use it for that. Think humble. Think humble. Think humble means we lead with empathy. We first of all think, okay, this person has junk in their life like I have junk in my life. We all have experiences. We all have things that shape the way we look at things. So how, are, how is he or she looking at this from his or her past? Let me sit in that person's shoes. And let me admit that even though I know 100% I'm right, yeah, I might be wrong. So I got to listen. Think humble. Think eternal. If God were sitting in that room with you, and he is, because come alongside him, would he be proud of the words coming out of your mouth or the attitude of your heart? Think eternal. Is this a major issue that, that you need to die for? Or is this a minor issue that you're pole vaulting over, that you really don't need to worry about, that you can say, you know what? I, I need to be righteous rather than right. That's what think eternal's about. And then think Jesus. You see, Jesus varied his approach with everyone that he talked to. If you looked at his relationships, he, he varied his approach in all of his interactions. Let me give you an example. Two examples. Nicodemus, leader of the religious council, Jewish, uh, Jewish religious council. He is a, high up in the Pharisaical hierarchy. He's intrigued by Jesus. Early in Jesus' ministry, he comes to him in the middle of the night. And he asks some questions, and Jesus starts talking about how he has to be born again. And Nicodemus responds, you know, how can a man go back into, an old man go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus looks at him and, and, and is very direct. What, you're, you're a spiritual leader and you don't get this? Come on, man. He goes right to the heart. He's direct. And then just a short time after that, he meets a woman, a Samaritan woman. And she's living a sinful lifestyle. And he doesn't do this to her. He actually is very gentle and then direct. Notice in both, he uses grace and he uses truth. Never just grace, never just truth. It's grace and truth. Notice in both, both Nicodemus and the, the Samaritan woman at the well, they have the same spiritual condition. He's a religious rock star. She is pounding rocks in the middle of nowhere. And both have the same religious condition. They need Jesus. And he varies his approach. So when we sit down with someone whom we disagree with, we need to vary our approach depending on their temperament and who they are. Don't you see how Jesus permeates all this? He was the humble suffering servant. He was always thinking what God the Father wanted him to do, and he was always thinking eternal. And he valued people, but he never dropped grace and truth one or the other. He always valued people with grace and truth. And he values you. He values you. He values me. 
about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah would say these words in Isaiah chapter 42. God would speak through Isaiah, and he'd be speaking about Jesus. Look at these words. Here is my servant, Jesus, he's talking about, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. That's the the good news. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. And some of you here today understand that whole bruise concept. You may look good on the outside, and you're covering some bruises because you're a hot mess on the inside. And what God says is, you may feel broken, but I'm not going to break you. I'm going to mend you. There is nothing you have gone through that I won't redeem, either on this side of eternity or the next. Will you trust me? Some of you here today feel that, like that smoldering wick, that at some time you've got no flame left, and sometimes God's just going to come up and go, I'm through with you. He's like, no, I'm never through with you. I'm going to bind your broken heart. I'm going to light that flame again. You will recover. Will you trust me? He redeems our wounds. And he tells us to hapamino, superstand, persevere, to demand Sophia's wisdom, and then to Potatheo, come alongside him. And when we do, we see the right side of the rug. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Right, I want to give you a challenge. Challenge before you leave here. It's a challenge for today, this week, your life. Whenever you come into a time of suffering, I want you to immediately pray, God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. And then believe in faith that he's going to give you wisdom to deal with whatever you're going through. Then think humble. Think eternal. Think Jesus and suffer well. Suffering well requires godly wisdom.